This week in KMA Land, Montgomery County makes solar energy ordinance adjustments. Mills County solar amendments still a work in progress. Ozuna zooms in as Montgomery County's new auditor. More fallout over wind turbines in Page County. And Hamburg School Board sets bond issue vote. I'm Mike Peterson. Montgomery County officials shine new light on the county's solar energy ordinance this week. At its regular meeting Tuesday morning, the county's Board of Supervisors approved the first reading of amendments to the ordinance governing future solar energy projects. County Zoning Administrator Barry Byers told KMA News members of the county's Planning and Zoning Commission proposed the changes following a series of meetings. We cleaned up some of the language, made it language that was used in the Iowa Siting Guide for Wind and Solar Projects, so it was consistent all the way through, and removed some unneeded definitions that were in the original ordinance, fixed some of the grammar things on how things read, and then we added a few sections regarding availability of funds for decommissioning and ground cover and um, noise. Saying the county now has a thorough ordinance, buyers praised Planning and Zoning Commission members for their efforts. Well, I think the board did a very good job of of getting together and being productive and making sure that they were informed on all the topics we were going to discuss for the meetings. So my hat's off to them. Commission member Vicki Rossander voiced support for the amendments during a public hearing prior to the supervisor's vote. Proposed changes we have made, and I hope that the Board of Supervisors will pass, will significantly strengthen our county's solar ordinance. These proposed changes will better protect landowners, neighbors, and our county as more and more solar arrays are being installed. The amendment's second reading takes place at the board's next regular meeting next Tuesday. While Montgomery County officials made changes in its solar project regulations this week, Mills County officials are taking their time. That's according to Supervisor Richard Crouch, who says the county still has work to do before any changes are made. Speaking on KMA's Morning Line program this week, Crouch says the county's 120-day moratorium on accepting commercial solar applications placed in April will be extended as the county's Planning and Zoning Commission and Zoning Technician Holly Jackson continue a thorough review of the document. We're putting together a, a group of people to uh, sit down and uh, go over some ordinances from other counties and areas that are similar to ours. Uh, we really don't want to rewrite the wheel or anything, but we just feel that we need to do this before we set this in motion, and we hope to be done by the end of the year with it. Crouch says many questions regarding solar projects remain, including the proposed locations for such units. We're looking at the geographical study, you know, kind of, okay, is this an adequate place? Is this something that would be all right in this area? You know, things like that, that we want to keep the county in, in perspective as, a, as the way it looks now, you know, and, and this would be quite a change, you know, if you put something up. Forty years is a long time. Crouch says extending the moratorium would ensure that the amendments are completed Properly. We feel that that's more important, and, and the people behind or the people that's looking, they understand what we're doing, and they're, they're working with us. So it's something we feel we need to get in place before we open the door and let everything run. Mills County Supervisor Richard Crouch on KMA's Morning Line program. Well, it was a busy week for Montgomery County's Board of Supervisors. In addition to addressing solar ordinance changes, the supervisors also filled the county auditor's vacancy. At a special meeting Monday afternoon, the county's Board of Supervisors appointed Jill Ozuna of Red Oak as county auditor. 
Ozuna succeeds Stephanie Burke, who resigned last month to accept the school business official board secretary's position with the Stanton School District. Ozuna was selected from among two candidates interviewed for the position. Supervisors Chair Mark Peterson told KMA News Ozuna's credentials stood out. She's got a, a, a good accounting background. She also has some sales background, people managing background. She had a, a strong background that, that uh, we thought was a good fit for the auditor's position. Peterson says he was pleased with the selection process. Initially going in, I always had the thought in the back of my mind, if we didn't get a strong enough candidate, we could go ahead and allow our treasurer, Jackie Porter, to continue to be in charge of the auditor's duties as far as signing for everything and all the interim auditor if we needed to. But since we did find a strong candidate, we felt that we just as well move forward. Peterson has no qualms with the appointment's timing. I don't know that there's a good time to appoint a new auditor. There's always something going on, but I guess what I like about starting the 1st of August, it allows her a little time before her first election and five months before we really get into the next budget, which of course is very important to the county. A Prescott native and Omaha Central High School graduate, Ozuna attended the University of Nebraska-Omaha, then worked 17 years as a hairdresser before entering the finance and bookkeeping field. She then moved to Texas. My husband and I, when we got married, we moved to Texas and started a property preservation business and ran that very successfully. Took over nine counties and trained other vendors in other big cities like Houston and Corpus Christi and San Antonio. And then one of our sons moved back up here to Iowa and ended up with a baby. And so we got incredibly grandchild sick and moved back up here to be with our grandson and my mom. Upon moving to Red Oak, Ozuna worked with the Greenbrier Company for five years, advancing from an administrative assistant to customer service representative senior. While saying she was saddened to hear of Burke's resignation, Ozuna told KMA News she applied for the auditor's position because she saw it as an opportunity. I have a lot of the skills in that background. It attracted me there as a way to, to connect with the people here that I actually live with. I work with a large clientele and colleagues from all over the country and even other countries with Greenbrier, but it's through a computer and putting, you know, a face, you know, in front of another face, physical contact is different than a computer contact. And I felt like this would be a good fit for me to take on another challenge and be a part of the community a little bit more. Osuna says she was relieved that the supervisor selected her as the county's new auditor. It's a big decision and I was very happy with their decision. I will work very, very hard to make sure that I I fill those shoes, you know, in a good way and work really hard for the people and earn my keep here. Among other things, Azuna must learn the duties associated with serving as the county's elections commissioner. I'm working with specific people that will help me, guide me through all of the rules and boundaries of, of what that commission entails. So that'll be a lot to learn. Ozuna is expected to run for a full term as county auditor in the November elections. Her tenure with Montgomery County begins August 1st. 
Well, the fallout over last week's controversial decision on a proposed energy project in Fremont County dominated Page County's Board of Supervisors meeting this week. During its regular meeting Monday afternoon, the Page County Board of Supervisors heard from Page County Horizons on continued areas of concern for Invenergy's proposed Shenandoah Hills wind farm, straddling the Page-Fremont County line. The Fremont County Board of Supervisors, as you'll recall, unanimously approved their portion of the project's permit application last week, but a decision has yet to be made for Page County. County resident Jane Stimson says she was disappointed in the Fremont County Board's decision, given the variety of what she says are basic issues wrong with the application. There were townships that were attributed to the wrong counties. That is pathetic. There were roads mislabeled. Pathetic. Numerous inhabited houses in Fremont were not even on their map. I've heard from anywhere from 40 to 70. And one person said they were told the, uh, they didn't count the uninhabitable houses and the houses that were a wreck. Stimson also inquired whether the board had requested the full environmental report for the project. While not confirming if they had done so, Supervisor Jacob Holmes read from a previous email response the board received when he inquired about the complete reports during a meeting. All of the data, data gathered during our field surveys and consultation with IDNR and USFWS should not be shared in the Page County permitting process is not required by the county ordinance, nor any state or federal process, and some of it's confidential in nature and can be cannot be shared publicly due to disclosure of sensitivity resource locations. Stimson also called the Invenergy proposal sloppy, citing issues such as the possible FCC hang-up with three turbines within three kilometers of KYFR's AM transmitter towers and one turbine proposed near the Wabash Trace Nature Trail that falls within a required half-mile setback laid out in the county ordinance for all other parks or areas not listed as a state or federal park or managed by Page County Conservation. County resident Jesse Stimson says he feels there is still some confusion about how any additions within the project's boundary, which is larger than the proposed turbine area, would be handled. I know we've heard that, no, you're, they're going to have to reapply for a new proposal and do all, all the same stuff that they had to do for the first one, but I think they said prior to that that everything within that blue line would essentially be grandfathered in. So there's a little bit of confusion that is happening. I think there are already some instances of people questioning whether they're going to buy a home within that blue line because they think that there are turbines coming. He believes it would be worth the county's money to seek out a third-party engineering firm to review certain parts of the application and future needs. Voters in the Hamburg School District go to the polls in less than two months on a major expansion of its K-8 facility. At its regular meeting Monday evening, the Hamburg School Board accepted the petition for a special election on a $3.1 million bond issue for construction of an addition to Marnie Simons Elementary School and a resolution setting the vote for September 13th. If approved by a 60% supermajority, proceeds in the bond issue would address three identified building needs. Hamburg School Superintendent Dr. Mike Wells told KMA News the project includes construction of a fitness center for use by students and the community. Currently we have a very small weight room. We have nowhere in our community where people can go and exercise. So the board wanted to be able to address a school issue, which is our athletics and weight room, and also address a community need. So the uh, fitness center is a big part of the project. It'll be a large fitness center. It'd be open 24 hours a day for people who pay taxes.
taxes in our district uh, to use and to enjoy. Construction of a 250-seat auditorium and two new classrooms are also included. Wells says the proposed bond issue carries no tax increase. Plans call for using sales tax dollars in physical plant and equipment levy funds to cover the general bonds. Now, plans call for outlining the referendum and a series of upcoming special meetings. We will have some public meetings. We've been talking about the project for over a year now. We have great support in our community, and we're confident that the community will vote for it because it's not a tax increase. Um, we'll just reallocate those funds and use them to pay the uh, bond issue. Public fundraising efforts for a proposed 8,800-square-foot facility were announced at a press conference at the Griswold Community Center Wednesday morning. Officials with the Noble Initiative Foundation, the organization spearheading the project, say $2.3 million must be raised for the facility, which would accommodate children ages 6 weeks to 4 years old, including a separate area for before- and after-school care for elementary-age kids. Approximately $1.6 million has been raised thus far through various grants and private sources. Jared Wyman is the foundation's president. Wyman says access to quality child care is an issue across rural America, and Griswold is no exception. According to a survey distributed to the greater Griswold area in 2018, 84 children in our area under the age of four need child care. 35% of families don't have adequate child care, and 75% of households missed work due to disruption in child care service. 43% of households turned down a promotion or expanded unemployment due to a lack of child care. We currently only have a few in-home child care providers in the area, leaving several families to seek child care outside of town. Carla Wilson chairs the Foundation's Major Divisions and Gifts Committee. Wilson says finding adequate child care is stressful for parents. Whether you have one kid or two kids or three or four, it is the most stressful thing you can probably do as a parent. And when you have limited options for child care, that those stress levels just skyrocket. Wilson says having a child care center in town keeps children and families in the community. There are families who are taking their kids to other communities for daycare, and then they're staying there because they don't want to pull their kids away from their friends that they've made, the community they've made in another community so they open and roll them to another town. We're losing that as a community. Holding up to 100 children, the facility would include four classrooms and a half gym. In addition to financial donations, Wyman says volunteers are needed to cover various positions associated with the fundraising efforts. We're looking for another approximately 40 volunteers to join us in the upcoming months to help everything from hosting events to writing thank yous, uh, helping plan facility furnishings and creating policies, policies, and even hiring staff and soliciting donors. This is an opportunity for people of all ages and backgrounds to give back and invest in the community. Groundbreaking is targeted for this fall with operations beginning in the summer of 2024. Donations can be mailed to the Noble Initiatives Foundation, P.O. Box 103, Griswold, Iowa 51535. More information is available from the organization's website and Facebook page. Anyone interested in volunteering can email griswoldtigerchildcare at gmail.com. 
Mid-American energy officials are hoping to get ahead of the game on a utilities franchise renewal in Red Oak. During its regular meeting Monday night, the Red Oak City Council discussed a franchise agreement renewal and a possible franchise fee with Mid-American regarding electric and gas services. Mark Reinders is a franchise manager with Mid-American. Reinders says the current 25-year agreements, which grant the utility company to use city right-of-way for gas and electric services, were made in 1998 and will expire in May 2023. He says getting a new agreement in place typically takes three to four months. First step is what we're doing tonight, just kind of saying, hey, the franchises are up, and then let you all look through things and ask questions as you want, and then a little bit of dispute on whether you need a public hearing or not, but we're going to get back to that question. Uh, then at a public hearing, you all can vote for first reading, wave second and third, and be done with it, or you can take a little slower process. Reinders suggested approving a 25-year renewal of the agreement. Since the late 90s, Reinders says franchise fees have also become a standard item alongside the agreements. The city would charge the fees to MidAmerican to provide their electric and gas services. If you did a 1% franchise fee um, on the electric and the gas side, that would, could raise around $70,000 a year. Um, you're allowed as a city to impose up to 5%, 1 to 5%. So if you took that all the way up to uh, the 70,000 times 5, you know, you're looking at basically $350,000. He adds the city could use the funds for several projects, but by law would be required to provide a revenue purpose statement for charging the fee. We need to build a new uh, meeting room for City Hall and improve the library, public safety, police and fire protection, all those kinds of things. If you do that, you have to have a, a reason to do it, to collect the money. That's where Des Moines got in trouble. I think most of us have seen some information about that. Uh, they didn't have a revenue purpose statement, so they were charging the fee, but not really having a, a reason to collect it. However, Councilman Brian Bill says those numbers are slightly misleading. He claims implementing a 1% fee would be a net zero for the city as it would replace an already 1% tax collected through local option sales tax for similar services. Nonetheless, Reinders says nearly 250 communities throughout Iowa implement the franchise fee. While the council took no action Monday, Red Oak Mayor Shauna Sylvia says the discussion will likely be continued in a work session in the coming months. More from Monday night's council meeting is always available with the web story at kmaland.com. Well, State Auditor Rob Sand extolled the virtues of his office's programs during a stop in Clarinda this week. Sand spoke with residents and county officials Wednesday evening at Kiwanis Park as part of his 100 town hall tour on several programs his office has implemented to help local governments save money and how he has and hopes to continue to operate his office following the November general elections. Sand touted the growth of the Public Innovation and Efficiencies, or PIE, program designed to assist local governments in utilizing measures to save tax dollars. We're only two years in. Uh, increased from about 330 to over 500 participants across the state. And the average of uh, the number of practices they're implementing went up 20% from year one to year two. So again, like more people, more entities participating, more practices getting implemented, better it gets. Sand says the program, which provides communication between government entities to share their projects, has even caught the eye of Republican state auditors in other states, including Mississippi, who have gone on to implement similar programs. The state auditor adds he is pleased to continue to offer a statewide work, statewide jobs program in his office, no longer requiring employees to live within Des Moines, Ames, or Iowa City. We work in 99 counties. Why would we not let people live everywhere? The whole situation is basically, once you've got a year of experience and we kind of know that you know what you're doing, uh, you live anywhere you want, 
We will assign you largely to local audits in your area. You might have to come to Des Moines every now and then to work on state audits because a huge chunk of our work is state work. But for the most part, it's like win-win-win. Sands says the program has resulted in happier employees, reduced costs for local governments to cover travel expenses, including hotels, and supported rural areas by allowing employees to live where they choose. Moving forward, Sands says he is still pushing for stiffer punishments for those who embezzle public dollars for private purposes, including prison time. He believes punishments such as probation or repaying the amount stolen aren't effective deterrent. These kinds of crimes specifically are the kinds that we can deter. People who are desperate, hard to deter them from crime if that's what's in front of them. People who are inebriated, people who are high, not really thinking clearly. People who are embezzling money week after week, month after month, definitely calculating in their head, do I have an opportunity to do this? Can I do this? Can I get away with this, right? And so the more they know that there's certainty of punishment on the other side, the less likely they are to actually do it. Additionally, Sands spoke on the latest developments with American Rescue Plan Act funds. As of April, he says counties that have received less than $10 million in ARPA money now have significantly lighter restrictions, which could have some benefits. If you hand out literally trillions of dollars in the United States and you make it and you make the things that qualify for its use be like replacing your sewers and replacing your HVAC, you know how long you're going to be waiting for the handful of companies that do HVAC work compared to the demand. So it's kind of great to just sort of be like, yeah, look, you want to spend it on something else, go ahead. I mean, that's part of what drives inflation is having a massive amount of demand for a small, limited resource. Sand says his office has also explored recommending intergovernmental segregation of duty teams between school districts, cities, and counties, and adjusting their guidance on providing dollars to nonprofits to include a contract ensuring accountability at a paper trail. A new era is underway at Northwest Missouri State University as Dr. Clarence Green takes charge as the interim president. An East St. Louis native, Green received a bachelor's degree in sociology and a master's degree in higher education leadership, both from Northwest, before obtaining a doctorate in educational leadership and policy analysis from the University of Missouri. Green has served as chief of the University Police Department since 1997 and has served in various roles, including most recently as vice president of culture. Previously, Green served as interim vice president of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and as the interim vice president of human resources. Green will serve as president for one year, succeeding Dr. John Jasinski, whose contract as president was not renewed by the university's board of regents earlier this year. Notably, Green will serve as the first black president of Northwest. Green says that does potentially create some expectations. I think there's some expectations around diversity, sense of belonging, and perhaps those expectations might not even be fair. But but I also welcome them because, you know, throughout my life, there's always been expectations that perhaps been put upon me or expected of me that may not always have been fair. But I, I would like to think that I've always rose to the occasion and uh, worked with a team to help build those out and have some success. Well, they may not permanently be in the role. Green says he is all on, on providing the best educational opportunities for students in the upcoming academic year. I can't do anything half-pitched, you know, or three-quarters. It's going to be all of Clarence or probably none, but I don't know what none is because anything that I accept, any challenge, any opportunity, I'm going to be all in, and I'm all in on, on this challenge. I don't have interest of seeking this role for 
full time. And so I know that there's going to become an end date. That's why we're working on goals really for this academic year. Grinch says he and his leadership team intend to release their 2022-23 academic focal points in the coming weeks. However, one focus for Green is continuing to build trust and better communication with various university stakeholders. One way in which we're going to try to do that, and we're going to do that this year, is more in-person communication, being more visible at key meetings where we have like our government associations, like our faculty senate, our staff council, our student senate, RHA, being there, having a physical presence, as well as having an opportunity to talk about what are those focal points that we're trying to accomplish this year and how do we need you to assist in that. Additionally, he hopes to gain more knowledge on the functioning of different facets of the university. Right now, Green says he doesn't anticipate pursuing the president's role permanently, and the university's Board of Regents is currently searching for a long-term successor. Green made his comments in an interview with KXCV in Maryville. That wraps up this week in KMA Land. Be listening each week at this time for This Week in KMA Land. And for more information all the time, log on to kmaland.com where you can also hear this program in its entirety. From the entire KMA News team, this is Mike Peterson. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. This has been a presentation of KMA News.